glad to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16 for our preaching today. Begin the reading in verse 13. Just to remind you, this comes in the context of the anointing of David to serve as king over Israel. After Samuel had anointed, or after the Lord had told him to do so, we begin with verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Saul arose and went to Ramah. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well, and bring him to me. And one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him. And he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. It's sometimes said that the Old Testament doesn't say anything about the Holy Spirit, that that is a New Testament subject. But this is a passage that relates the important role of the Holy Spirit. But it does so in the context of of this history of David and Saul. I'll remind you that this type of literature is not a theological writing. It's not laying out different points like our confession of faith does. Instead, it's telling of what God was doing by the Holy Spirit in the lives of David and of Saul. And from that, there are certain questions that naturally rise up. In fact, as I read it at our breakfast table this morning, the very first question out of, out of Vicky's mouth was, well, does that mean that Saul lost his salvation? And that is the typical question that rises up out of this text. But there are other questions. What does it mean that a distressing spirit came from God to, to, to trouble Saul? And what does it mean that the Spirit of God came upon David? What's the relationship or what's the difference or contrast with Saul? 
Well, in answering these questions, this passage leads us to the conclusion that our lives and our ministry are nothing without the Holy Spirit. And it's a passage that calls you to depend upon God, to depend upon the Holy Spirit for your hope of salvation, for your ministry in this world. Let's begin with this question about the Spirit of the Lord departing from Saul. It really does deserve some explanation. You could read it, as, as many do, and think that Saul had the, the Holy Spirit and so was a genuine believer. But then the Holy Spirit departed, and so he lost his salvation. But this conclusion can't stand the fundamental test of interpretation. And that test is that Scripture interprets Scripture. What I mean by that is that you must take what is said here and read it in the context of what all of the Bible says about our salvation. And so, as we read the rest of Scripture, the consistent teaching is that the Lord works sovereignly to bring salvation. We talk about this as the doctrines of grace, that we are all sinners, that we are unable to come to God unless the Lord himself, by his Spirit, changes a heart of stone so that we respond and we respond in faith and repentance and obedience. This leads as well to the point that we believe that as God genuinely acts on an individual, as God calls you to belief and to faith, that you as a genuine believer will persevere to the end. Because of that, you can turn to those glorious passages uh, really throughout scripture, but I'll just name Romans chapter eight, where Paul says, I am persuaded there, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is nothing. And he even gives that wonderful list of what might uh, you think might be able to separate you, but there is nothing that can separate you because as God acts, he he causes you to persevere to the end. So what does it mean that the Spirit departed from Saul then? Seen in light of these doctrines of grace, I've made the point that it can't mean that Saul lost his salvation. It means that he never was a genuine believer in the first place. Which leads us to the further understanding, and this is where it gets maybe more difficult to understand, it leads to the further understanding that it's possible in some way to have the benefit of the Holy Spirit in our lives and yet remain unconverted. And I say it's difficult uh, and it must be understood in those doctrines of grace. It's difficult because, uh, because of that idea of our partaking of the Holy Spirit. We attach that so firmly with our conversion. But again, the broader teaching of the Bible will help you to understand this. It does teach that there is a possibility of enjoying some influence of the Holy Spirit of some kind, but never to be converted. And so this morning, 
We read earlier from Hebrews chapter 6. In that passage, there's this description of individuals that, that enjoy an amazing description of being part of the visible body of the church that enjoy even some of the, uh, of the blessings of the means of grace, even so much as to be, as it says, partakers of the Holy Spirit, but they fall away. They are not genuine partakers of Jesus Christ. And this rises really from Jesus' own teaching. You might remember that Jesus said that on the day that he returns, that there will be some who say, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not work wonders in your name? But to them, the Lord Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. And as the authoritative interpreter, Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So he says to those who appear to have these, these marks of the Spirit, I never knew you, depart from me. So regarding Saul, this is not a case of his losing his salvation because we would conclude by the basis of the broader teaching that he never had it in the first place. God had called him to serve as king, and he gave him certain gifts to equip him to do that. He gave him of his spirit. He even prophesied. But those aren't the marks of belief. The primary mark of faith is obedience and perseverance to the end a mark that Saul failed in over and over again. But not only did the Holy Spirit depart, but it says that God sent a distressing spirit to trouble Saul. This also deserves uh, some explanation. It's, uh, it's helpful for you to know that some translation will translate the distressing spirit that the New King James Version has, they translate it as evil spirit. And that is a good translation. It's, a, it's an appropriate translation for the word that is used there. But it can be misunderstood. God is not evil. James says straight out that God is not tempted and he does not tempt anyone. He would not and he could not send an evil spirit to be so, uh, uh, in a sense, allied with, uh, with evil in the way that we know that. So, so how do we understand this? Some reason that, uh, that when the Holy Spirit departed from Saul, that it left him exposed so that he was then afflicted by an evil spirit. And that exposure and affliction took care of his own natural bent, his own temptations, his own failings. And so the devastating consequences of those come to rest, and he suffers from those. The distress and depression that come from rejecting God and his Christ. And while there is some truth to 
that aspect of of God's leaving unbelievers to suffer consequences, this text goes further. And that's why there's that kind of uh, troubling problem that we, we, we wonder about here. Because it says not only did the Spirit withdraw, but it says that God actively sent this distressing Spirit. It's not just that he allowed a distressing spirit. He sent this distressing spirit. In fact, it says it four times that the spirit came from God. Again, we assert that God is not evil, that he cannot tempt. So how do we answer what is happening here? The commentator Phillips makes this very appropriate uh, observation, that the answer is that the spirit of harm was sent by the Lord as an act of judgment, a judgment on Saul's sin. That It was not an accident by nature. It was not a medical condition. In Philip's words, it was a supernatural assault by a being sent by the Lord's command, and it was brought on by Saul's disobedience. God was judging Saul's disobedience. There is a patience that God has shown with Saul over and over again throughout the years of his ruling. There's a patience. There's a, a, a warning that is, is seen as, as Saul goes to, Samuel goes to Saul and, and confronts him and, and corrects him and disciplines him. And then finally, the Lord acts and he removes his spirit from Saul and he judges him by sending this distressing spirit that troubled him. It's hard to imagine what is going on at this, at this juncture of history. A distressing spirit from God himself. I know that there are times in my life, and maybe you children can relate to this. There are times in my life where I am asleep and a nightmare takes over my dreams. Such that there is a terrifying fear that comes upon me. And there's some consolation by waking up from that and, and knowing that that is not real. We aren't told exactly what the trouble was or the distress, but I tend to imagine it in this context of a, a spirit of God coming upon Saul in judgment to warn him of the wrath to come. And as terrifying as any nightmare that you have ever experienced, the terror of hell is much worse. And in this life, the Lord was acting to bring judgment on Saul. And yet there's still a sense of mercy here. Because this distressing spirit served 
not only as a judgment, but as a warning of the worst judgment to come. And that judgment is the eternal judgment of God in hell. And in case this seems harsh to you, remember that the Lord has often warned in history of the impending doom that comes upon all who reject Jesus Christ. That's what the flood is about. There is judgment upon those that were uh, that were said that had uh, that the very thoughts and intentions of their hearts were only evil continually and God God rightly judges the world at the flood but that pales in comparison to the judgment of hell God was the one who sent the flood and God was the one who rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah the Lord is righteous in his judgments. And we are to be warned by them. Unfortunately, and here again we agonize over Saul because of all of these warnings that he receives. But even in this, even in this severe distressing spirit, Saul did not respond to the warning of God. What is the proper response to God's warning of judgment? The proper response for Saul and for all of time is to repent. Is to turn away from unbelief. And to find refuge in God by repentance and faith. It is to return to the living God who promises to forgive and to restore. He is merciful. And the warnings that go out in this life go out throughout every age, calling you to a God who is rich in mercy. But Saul, Saul, how does he respond? Well, his servants prescribe a remedy. A remedy that is of good intentions, but never deals with Saul's heart and never dis deals with his disobedience of his rejection of God. They soothe his, his spirit with music. The sad fact is that Saul wouldn't or didn't retreat to the Lord to find a hiding place in him. He didn't go and, and seek out Samuel, God's anointed prophet, to hear from him God's word, to lead him in that way of repentance. And so he becomes overwhelmed with distress and with depression and with this troubling spirit. And his answer was to soothe his spirit, to placate his conscience, rather than dealing with his sin. And thus, God judged Saul. Before I go to David, let me pause here and make a quick application. 
God does give warnings in this life. Pay heed to them. And flee to Jesus Christ as your Redeemer. And remember that if by God you are his child, if by the, that spirit of adoption that, that those warnings are meant not as punishment but as chastisement, and there's a world of difference between those two. Chastisement is for correction and restoration. And the Lord chastises the children he loves. So pay heed to the Spirit's work in your life. If there are warnings that the Lord is bringing, then listen to them. And fly to Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, in repentance. Let's turn then to consider David and the fact that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. There's a striking context, con contrast right here in the text. It says that in one verse that the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that time forward. And then in the very next sentence that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Well, as we will come to see, the Lord had already been at work in David's heart. He was teaching him to trust in God at, as he stood guard over the, the sheep at night. God was already training him. We notice this in his anointing. God was training to have diligence in the job that was in front of him, to, to care about those that were uh, had authority over him and those who were under his care, to stand against the enemies and so on. God was already at work in his heart. Well, that continues. Now God is we might say, orchestrating Saul's affairs so that David would be brought into the king's court. When Saul was distressed, his servants suggested finding someone to play the harp for him. And as one of the servants said, I know someone who is like this. I know someone who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. And so it was that Saul sent for David. And David moves from being a carer, one who cares for the sheep, into the palace of the king, into his courts to serve the king there. This is the Lord's doing. The spirit was, was bringing about these things so that David would begin to take up other important responsibilities. And it's clear that as, as, as David went about his work in Saul's presence, that he approached it with the same diligence and faithfulness that he had done as he cared for his father's sheep. So much so that Saul came to love him. And he said, and sent to his, his father and said, can David stay with me? I've come to appreciate his work, appreciate him. Saul made him his armor bearer. Armor bearer to the king. The place of importance and closeness. And with that, let me pause and say, note the spirit at work. Not only providentially orchestrating all of this, but 
But notice how David responds in this situation. He responds by using the gifts that God had given him to serve God and others. That was part of my message on his anointing, that the gifts of God come from the spirit of God so that we might serve him and be of use to the church and to the community. That's exactly what David is doing here. God had gifted him with music. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. This was not for his own Instagram feed so that he could get uh, thousands of followers. No, he was there to serve. And he used the gift of music that God had given him to serve King Saul. Music can be used in a variety of different ways. Um, Joel Beakey even comments on this. If you have the, the uh, Reformation Heritage Study Bible, you can see that he, he calls attention to the power of music for, for evil or, or for good in this case. And David uses this gift of God, the gift of the Spirit. He uses music so as to calm the king's heart. Now, Saul did this to soothe his conscience. But David, out of a clear conscience, and out of a desire to give relief, the Lord uses that to bring blessing to Saul and to calm his spirit. But then also note a contrast between David and Saul. This comes out from this passage as it tells of Saul and of his disobedience and God's judgment on him. And then what we know of David later, where Saul disobeyed, and we have plenty of evidence to that in previous chapters, where Saul disobeyed, David obeyed. And we'll go on to see that in the following chapters. And where Saul dug in his heels and refused to confess his sin, David repented. You see, David obeyed, but none of us obey perfectly, and neither did David. But when he sinned, and when he was confronted about that sin, the mark of the Spirit was that he repented. Think of Psalm 51. We're going to be singing this later. They'll be our words, but they are David's words as well. David repented by acknowledging his sin before the Lord instead of making excuses. He threw himself on the mercy of God rather than trying to protect himself by his own position or power. And he asked God for cleansing, a cleansing from the guilt and the stain of sin. And I want you to hear the words that David uses in Psalm 51. This is verses 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Can you imagine David 
heeding the warning that came to Saul and then came to him as he was confronted in his sin. And David listened. And what a touching expression of faith and repentance. What a touching expression of dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Because unlike Saul, David didn't try to soothe his soul. He repented. He depended on the Spirit above to give him life, to give him salvation, to give him peace in his soul. Not the peace of a soothed conscience, but a peace of forgiveness, which is true peace. From this passage then, and in answering these questions about the Holy Spirit, I want to close by giving uh, two more applications. I'll I'll form them in uh, that of two questions. Do you have the Holy Spirit? And are you depending on the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit? And I ask that, uh, it's kind of provocative to ask it that way because uh, the, 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 as I've said, the question is, is, is complex in that you can be a partaker of the Holy Spirit like Saul, but never believe. Or you can be like David, moved by the Holy Spirit, convicted of sin so that you come to faith and repentance. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, to convert you. So in asking you, do you have the Holy Spirit, uh, it, it, it's, it's startling to ask it that way. Because you may go away from this message and say, well, am I David or am I Saul? Gordon Ketty calls Saul a self-deceived, unconverted pseudo-believer. And as Kitty answers this question, he says, the answer is that those who love the Lord keep his commandments. And the first and most basic test is to obey. To obey that call to repent and believe. To then take God's word and follow it genuinely. How can I know I am a true believer and not self-deceived? When convicted of sin, do you repent? Do you believe? Do you cast yourself upon the Lord? As a child of God, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a partaker of the Holy Spirit, there will be fruit born, fruit of the Spirit, fruit of obedience, not perfect but genuine, And when you sin, you repent. Our very lives, our hope of salvation depends on this. They depend on the Holy Spirit. That's you as an individual. We too, as as a body, depend upon the Holy Spirit. And here I have in mind David and Saul's role as, as leaders in the nation of Israel and of the nation and characteristic of the nation itself. So I'll ask, are you depending upon the Holy Spirit, not just for your salvation, but for living out that faith 
in whatever calling God gives to you, whatever your vocation is, and are, are you as a congregation depending upon the Holy Spirit, that the Lord would build the church, that the Lord would plant a congregation in Oklahoma City. The plain matter of the, the plain truth of the matter is that apart from Christ, apart from the working of the Holy Spirit, our lives and our ministry amount to nothing unless Christ is in it, unless the Holy Spirit is there. Oh, we could have some success in the world's eyes. We could have developed wondrous and effective programs. We might have a, a social media outlet that has thousands of followers. But if we are not depending upon the Holy Spirit, we are nothing. And it will amount to nothing spiritually and eternally. In the words of Jesus Christ again, apart from me, you can do nothing. Your life and hope of salvation and our ministry, all, everything depends on God. You're nothing without the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that the Lord would pour out his spirit upon you individually and on us collectively, that we would follow Christ and serve him and his church now and forever. Let's pray. Well, Lord God, we do pray that you would bless us and keep us that you would make your face shine on us by your Spirit's work. For Lord, we can be so self-consumed that we ignore your warnings. We can deceive ourselves and think that, that everything is fine. Instead, O oh Lord, I pray that we would depend upon the working of your Spirit, of you yourself in our lives for salvation, for repentance, for faith and obedience, and that we as a congregation would move forward resting and looking to you to guide us, to equip us, to send us out with the gospel in our communities. Oh God, we depend upon you and pray that you would not turn your face away, that you would not cast us from your presence, that you would not take your spirit away, but that instead you would forgive all of our sins to make us right in your sight through Jesus Christ, to restore in us the joy of salvation and grant us to know that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Instead, we would sing from Psalm 51. Let's do that now. Make this your personal psalm of repentance to express to the Lord, knowing that God has promised to forgive our sins in Jesus Christ. We'll sing Psalm 51, Selection D. Please stand to sing.